You're listening to a podcast from Washington Post Live, bringing the Post's newsroom to life on stage. This has been a presidential election cycle like no other. As November approaches, concerns about voting, safety, resources, access, and delays are widespread. In this segment, Colorado Secretary of State Jenna Griswold and Washington Secretary of State Kim Wyman join the Washington Post to talk about mail-in voting and efforts in their state to support voting this fall. Following their segment, you'll hear from fashion designer Tori Birch, who will discuss her decision to close all stores and offices early on Election Day and encourage employees to volunteer as poll workers with a paid day off. Let's listen. Welcome to The Washington Post Live. I'm Matea Gold, National Political Enterprise and Investigations Editor at The Washington Post. I'm pleased to welcome today two officials who have been on the front lines of voting in their respective states, Colorado Secretary of State Jenna Griswold and Washington Secretary of State Kim Wyman. Thanks so much to both of you for joining us. Thank you. Thank you. This general election is expected to be like no other, and that's in large part because many Americans are expected to vote by mail for the first time. We've heard a lot about mail voting in this campaign, not all of it accurate. Can you both speak to how your states have handled mail voting in the past? And Secretary Wyman, let's start with you. Uh, yes, Washington State has been a uh, vote by mail state since 2011, and we really had quite a ramp up because we had expanded absentee voting uh, many years before that. So our state has had the opportunity to build in the capacity and capability to process millions of ballots in a short time frame with security measures like checking every signature that comes in against a signature on file. Uh, Washington State does voter registration ID checks at the time of voter registration. So uh, we have that confidence level that the people that are submitting the ballots are the voters that were eligible to uh, cast them. So our system is is well developed and we've been sharing this information with states across the country to help them get to that same level. Secretary Griswold, what about Colorado? Well, we believe in Colorado that uh, voters should have access to accessible, secure and safe elections. And the safest way to vote during a pandemic is using a mail ballot. Uh, you know, this is very personal to me. My mom is a nurse and she worked on a COVID unit saving people's lives. Uh, and I believe that we should be able to safeguard our democracy and also decrease the spread of COVID-19. Uh, and that's through the use of mail ballots. You know, the Colorado election model is just uh, the gold standard for the nation, and I'm happy to, to share uh, this platform with Kim. They do a great job in Washington also. And how the Colorado election model works is you register to vote, then you're sent a ballot straight to your home, and you return it either through the mail at one of hundreds of drop boxes or even at an in-person voting location. Uh, we also have hundreds of locations for early in-person voting and even same-day voter registration. Uh, we lead the nation in, in turnout, and I believe that every voter should have the same type of access that we have in Colorado, uh, and look forward to this conversation and talking about how we expand vote by mail for all to all Americans. Secretary Wyman, the president has repeatedly said that the use of mail ballots will lead to an election that is rigged. And at last night's debate, he said that tens of thousands of ballots could be manipulated. What has been the actual experience of potential fraud related to mail ballots in your state? And what impact do you think his attacks on this practice are having in the public's faith in voting in this manner? 
Well, here in Washington, we just don't have a, a history of voter fraud um, in our, you know, in the, the over 125 years our state has been a state. But with that said, um, what we found in 2018, when we compared our voter records and our voter histories to other states, we did find 142 cases of voter, you know, double voting or people who had voted on behalf of a deceased family member. That was out of 3.2 million ballots cast. So one is too many, but 142 is not rampant fraud. And so, you know, our experience here in Washington does not even come close to what I'm hearing the president say about uh, vote by mail elections or even absentee ballots. And so, you know, I, I am concerned that these, these comments become disinformation because people start to believe that we have some sort of rampant fraud or, or tactics that are going to change the outcome of the election by some sort of vote rigging, as the, the president says, when in fact these systems that states have brought up are within their own state laws. They have security measures built around them to prevent any kind of coercion, to, to prevent fraud, and to really inspire confidence in voters. So my colleagues around the country, whether they are Democrats or Republicans, these are people who are appointed or elected to these positions. They take an oath of office to uphold their state constitution and laws, and the constitution and laws of the United States we're working very hard to make sure that uh, our elections are ones that people can believe in. So, um, you know, the president's uh, comments, we just have to keep refuting with the facts and that's what we're gonna do every day between now and the certification of the election. Secretary Griswold, the turmoil surrounding the Postal Service this summer has really compounded a lot of anxiety among voters. How concerned are you about mail delays impacting the election and what are you hearing from the voters in your state? Uh, well, we are very confident in the Postal Service and the delivery of ballots here in Colorado. Uh, you know, Postmaster General admitted to me and all the secretaries of state that he disagrees with both the president and the attorney general on their lies on vote by mail and guaranteed that uh, mail delivery will be just as normal and there will not be any delays. Uh, with that said, actions are stronger than words. Uh, and I've successfully sued the Postmaster General, winning two times out of two. Uh, and I'll make sure that he keeps his word and Americans get their ballots on time. You know, I, I do think it's meaningful that one of the mistakes the Postal Service made was treating the entire nation as if all of our elections work in the same way, uh, because they don't. But I do think that they're really onto something. You know, the fact that you live in a state like Georgia and Alabama doesn't mean that your constitutional right to vote uh, is any less than if you live in Washington or Colorado. And I hope that we continue this national conversation after the elections to make sure that all Americans have the type of access that they have if they live in Colorado. Our constitutional rights should not be dependent on the state we live in. And I look forward to setting national standards to make sure that every American's constitutional right to vote is respected and they have access to the franchise. Secretary Wyman, uh, voters in your state, as in Colorado, are real uh, experienced veterans when it comes to voting by mail. Um, so they probably don't feel as anxious as many other Americans do this year who are just trying to figure out how to cast their ballots in this new way. What tips can you give to voters to make sure their ballots can be counted? What steps do they need to take to make sure that their ballots won't get erroneously tossed out? I think what's so important for every voter in this country is right now check in with your local election office or your state secretaries of state um, office. 
to find out information about the laws in your state. Um, we are all over the map in terms of the way we mail out ballots, when they go out, when they're due, and how we process them. We have consistent rules around that, but in terms of how the voter engages can vary state to state. So find out when uh, you need to register to vote. For many states, that deadline is approaching quickly. Now is a good time to check and make sure your registration is up to date. Um, have a plan for your voting. Uh, when are you going to vote and how do you want to choose to vote? Do you want to vote in person or do you want to vote by mail? And, and have a plan. When are you going to go to that voting center or, or get that mail ballot back in? So in terms of the people that are new to absentee voting, it's really important you find out what those rules are. So uh, we're hearing in states that you need to make sure your ballot is in the security sleeve or envelope to protect your secrecy. Make sure you take that step when you're putting your ballot materials together to mail back to election officials. Make sure you attest to whatever oath is on your either absentee form, ballot request form, or the return ballot to make sure that your ballot can be counted by election officials. And most importantly, make sure you get it back on time. Uh, many states have a cutoff of having the ballot received by their election officials by a certain date and time. Find out what that date and time is and make sure you get it to election officials in a drop box or deliver it to the county election office uh, or local election office. Or if you have a valid postmark requirement, make sure you get that on your ballot before you put it into the mailbox to make sure that we can count your ballot when we receive it. Secretary Griswold, can you explain how uh, the, the Colorado makes sure that ballots are secure and verified? And, and what do you make of the president's constant attacks on this form of voting as insecure? Well, the president's attacks are uh, unfortunately a way for him to suppress voters and try to tilt the election in his favor. Uh, the president is gaslighting and manipulating American voters and to an extent the media to repeat his lies to undermine confidence. And I think we should be very worried that a president of the United States would try to manipulate our democracy for personal gain. Uh, when it comes to mail ballots, they are safe, secure, and accessible. Um, you know, in Colorado, we've had a history of extremely clean elections. We do signature verification, have rules about the number of ballots that can be collected. And overall, our, our rate of even uh, suspected double voting is very low. Uh, I'll share with you. Um, don't don't believe me. Believe uh, the Heritage Foundation if you if you would like a, a more conservative source that has found in the last 20 years of double voting with mail ballots that the rate of double voting is 0.00006%. Uh, so really, we have the safeguards in place to catch bad actors. We take that very seriously. At the same time, I think it's really important to underline that in a pandemic. Voting by home at home is the safest way to vote. That's how we stop the spread of COVID-19. Also, mail ballots increase our cybersecurity posture. Uh, you know, uh, there's two major uh, problems or, or I guess episodes affecting our election. Number one is the constant misinformation and lies coming out of the White House. And number two is foreign countries trying to undermine our elections either through disinformation or uh, would-be cyber scans. And mail ballots make us safer because you cannot hack a piece of paper. So overall, they're a great thing. They increase accessibility, they increase security, and they're the safest way to vote during a pandemic.
Secretary Wyman, we've heard a lot about how the increased use of mail ballots in this election could delay the final reporting and results. Can you explain to people exactly why that might be? And how do you process and count votes in Washington? And what do you expect that we will see on election night? Do you think we will see results in many states or do you think we'll be waiting for a while? Well, each state has a different way of processing and, and going through their absentee or their mail-in ballots. And here in Washington, 10 days before election day, we are able to start processing ballots by uh, checking the signatures, opening those outer security envelopes, uh, separating out the voter's name from their ballot, and then getting those ballots inspected to make sure that they'll be able to be accurately counted by the, the scanners. So that process is processing is happening here in Washington. And we have roughly half of our ballots will come in before election day. So on election night, we have meaningful results of the vast majority of ballots we've received through election day Tuesday. Now, with that said, my state also has a postmark cutoff. So ballots that have a postmark on or election day can be counted as long as we receive it, uh, receive them up to 20 days after election day. So I say all of this because we have a pretty wide voting window for voters, 18 days when we mail out the ballots to their homes and up straight up till election day at eight o'clock. In that window, we're processing and, and uh, counting all those ballots. And quite frankly, my counties are very uh, good at processing ballots. We're efficient at it. I imagine states like Colorado and, uh, and states that have already done this for years like Oregon are good at it. We have a large swath of states that are going to be seeing record numbers of absentee ballots returned. And they may or may not have that same robust capacity to be really efficient with their processing. They also may have laws that prohibit them from opening ballots and processing them before election day. So this is going to put a real strain on the system on the on election day and the days after to get through those hundreds of thousands or maybe millions of ballots that states have to count. So what we could see is a delay in results reporting, and that doesn't mean anything is wrong. There's no nefarious activity happening. It is election workers doing their jobs. And what we really want the public to know is, is that process is really important to do accurately. We want to make sure our counts are accurate and speed is very important, but accuracy is more important. So we could see a delay in results, uh, maybe as many as, as five days, six days after election day, before we actually have gotten through the majority of um, the ballots that have been returned and are eligible to vote. And if it's a close election, we won't know until states certify their results, which can be as many as like in Washington state, 21 days after election day. Matea, to jump in here. Um, I, I do think it's really important to underline a couple things. Um, number one, election night results are never official results. They just aren't. Uh, there's various things that happen after election night, even if you report the majority of your ballots. Uh, that includes military and overseas ballots uh, still being counted, signature cure or fixing ballots, uh, and risk-limiting audits, uh, just to say the least. And I think this is a really important uh, thing to highlight, especially for the media, because the president is trying to set up a, a fake trap, a, a gaslighting, saying that if ballots are not posted and results are not posted on election night, the rest of the ballots not counted yet are no good. And that is simply untrue. If it was true, the president would be disenfranchising predominantly overseas and military voters and people who choose to, to vote a mail ballot. So I think it's very important to underline election night results are never official results. Uh, and that we value accuracy 
and making sure voters have accessible elections. And another thing I, I would add, you know, we just had an issue in Colorado where an erroneous election report uh, was reported by one of the local media. Uh, and the uh, bad article, the bad report was eventually taken down, but not before Don Jr. retweeted it and Breitbart wrote an article. So I do think the media is playing a major role for this upcoming election, making sure that these very complicated election systems are reported accurately uh, and really uh, being very careful because misinformation travels so quickly. And we all, I, I know the media, secretaries of state, election officials, we do not want to undermine confidence. And part of that is making sure that voters have accurate information. I wanted to ask you both about another source of anxiety when it comes to this year's election, which is the potential for foreign interference. We've already seen Russia echoing some of President Trump's attacks on voting by mail. And I'm wondering about uh, what kind of guidance you're getting from the Trump administration and the officials at DHS about what they're monitoring and what you're on guard for right now, and whether you've seen any evidence either on social media or attempted hacks that are making you particularly worried. Uh, Secretary Wyman, why don't we start with you? Oh, well, one of the things that's really important for people to understand is that uh, election officials across the country have been working for the last four years to strengthen our cybersecurity defenses. And out of this, we have, have a really robust communication system, first and foremost, as secretaries of state and election directors across the country who are sharing information. And when we're seeing activity that looks suspicious, we're able to share that information through our federal partners at CISA and the Department of Homeland Security and really prevent those um, bad actors from getting into our systems. And we have been anticipating and expecting that we would see an uptick in activity, uh, phishing campaigns, for example, and, and we're certainly seeing that as we're getting closer to the election. So we're working very hard to uh, to just stick to our plans. We've we spent a lot of time doing tabletop exercises and, and really figuring out where the vulnerabilities might be in our systems with penetration testing and having a, a robust evaluation. So we've done the work now we're ready and uh and like every person who's online our job is to make sure that we're defending and protecting our systems and if something does happen that we have a plan to respond and recover and that is true across the country with uh with our colleagues secretary griswold what about you what are you hearing from the administration on these risks and what is colorado doing um, well, I, I think it's very important to underline there's a major difference between the civil servants at the Department of Homeland Security and the administration. Uh, we are hearing absolutely nothing from the Trump administration, and if anything, we're just hearing a bunch of lies. Uh, when the president talks about foreign interference, it's uh, scenarios that read more out of a spy novel, nothing that's based in actual intelligence. Uh, and I wouldn't take any foreign interference foreign uh, interference advice from a man who has invited foreign interference into our elections on multiple occasions. Now, the civil servants at the Department of Homeland Security, uh, that's a whole different story. They are our great partners. We enjoy working with them. And I agree with Secretary Wyman that the nation is in a much better spot than when we were in 2016. Uh, with that said, uh, our election infrastructure, cybersecurity preparedness, is not as strong as it could be because we have Senator McConnell and President Trump uh, stopping uh, security funding, stopping the innovations that we need, and in the president's case, apologizing or uh, making a, a case that he believes Putin that Russia didn't interfere when every single intelligence agency will tell you the opposite. 
So, you know, the DHS civil servants have been great partners and states have really had to lean in. Colorado is considered one of the safest states, if not the safest states to cast a ballot in today. Uh, the Washington Post actually gave us that designation in 2018. And then President Trump's former DHS secretary repeated us, repeated it and commended us on our leading cybersecurity. Uh, and I can go into all the reasons why we are so secure, um, but the things that I am on the lookout and I think Americans should be really on the lookout is number one, disinformation. Disinformation spreads so quickly. It's important when it comes to elections to really fact check. Uh, and make sure that you're getting your information from a trusted source, so your county clerk or your secretary of state. Uh, and then all states should be moving to uh, what we do in Colorado. That's a voter verified paper ballot, making sure that no in-person voting equipment is connected to the internet. Uh, and then lastly, doing something called a risk limiting audit, which shows us to a high statistical degree of certainty that our election results are correct. We can have safe, secure elections across the nation. We're moving in a really good direction. Uh, but with that said, I'm hoping that the administration changes its tune, that the Senate changes its tune and realizes that our election security is, is a, our national security. And we all need to be investing and innovating all the time to make sure that we are ahead of the bad actors. This election has really driven home the decentralized nature of how we run campaigns and voting in America. Not only can rules be different from state to state, but sometimes within a state from county to county, I'm wondering your thoughts on whether there is a need for more uniform federal standards. Would that be helpful? Would that be something that would actually strengthen our democracy? Secretary Wyman. This is the heart of the discussion that we've been having for probably the last uh, 30 years across elections uh, administrations. And I think that the challenge is we have 50 political cultures and, and if you count Washington DC, 51. Um, and each state has the constitutional authority and mandate to run their elections. So I think we have to be respectful of that. But I think every step we can take towards being more consistent in how we approach those laws is gonna be good for the voters. It's going to increase access and it's going to increase security. And I say that as, as a state who had the closest governor's race in the country's history 16 years ago. And what we learned from that experience was, uh, first of all, we were still doing polling place voting then. And we had, we had challenges uh, both at the polling place and in the vote by mail absentee ballot environment. We had mistakes made. And a lot of it came down to the ability to have good accounting measures, being able to have a good solid chain of custody and audit trail, and being able to um, be consistent in how we handle ballots from county to county. And I think that's really the heart of the, the work that we need to do going forward. Uh, Secretary Griswold is absolutely right in, in the fact that we need to fund cybersecurity and election efforts in the way that uh, really takes them up to the, the level of national security that we are. Uh, we need to make sure that our system is robust and is secure. And the other part of that is we need to make sure that we're being consistent in how we're handling ballots. So a voter who's in Colorado has the same experience as a voter in Georgia. They may have slightly different systems in the way that they cast their votes, but they should have the same protections and the same uh, security as any other voter in the country. And I think that we can work together collaborati collaboratively to get there. And it needs to be a bipartisan movement. It can't just be one party or the other because it's not going to be as good and as strong and as robust as it needs to be. So I, I look forward to uh, being able to do this work in the future with colleagues from both sides of the aisle. What's your view on that, Secretary Griswold? 
I largely agree with Secretary Wyman. And I, I think it's important to say that Secretary Wyman's a Republican, I'm a Democrat, uh, and there's a lot that we can agree on. You know, when it comes to national standards, I believe that every eligible American should have sure should have access to secure elections. That means vote by mail for all, uh, early voting sites, same day voter registration, online uh, uh, voter registration to make sure that our constitutional rights are protected. And when states fail to offer access for our constitutional rights, I, I do believe that there is a, a definite role for the federal government uh, for national standards. I also think it's important to note that very often voter suppression is systemic racism. Uh, when we look at the history of voter suppression, it often is targeted at people of color. So as our nation is having a reckoning with our, our systemic racism through all different types of institutions, uh, we need to expand tools to make sure that all Americans, regardless of the color of their skin, the amount of money in a bank account, where they live, have the same type of access to have their voices heard in our democracy. I wanted to ask you both about another comment the president made last night at the debate in which he urged his supporters to come monitor voting um, out of fear that votes would be stolen or votes would be manipulated. What are the risks of this kind of exhortation? I'm wondering, are you seeing evidence that people sort of are heeding that call? And, and are you worried that people will show up at the polls as sort of self-appointed monitors of the vote? Secretary Wyman? Well, in Washington State, we have voting centers, so we don't have polling places in the traditional sense. And of course, with COVID-19, many of those voting centers are doing curbside pickup and doing things that are keeping our voters safe that do need to come in and vote in person. So um, it's a little different setup than I think some of the uh, states who, that have actual in-person voting centers and, and polling places open on election day. With that said, each of these states have uh, formalized rules around observing elections, of being monitors at polls, and most of those are facilitated by the political parties and are balanced and are, are accessible to Democrats and Republicans. I get very concerned when we start talking about um, people ramping up on either side of the aisle and trying to uh, monitor a polling place or, or you know, have, have a lot of observers there to make sure things go well um, outside of those normal rules and regulations because it can start to amount to voter intimidation. It can make people uncomfortable going into a, a voting center or a polling place. And we we cannot as Americans afford any kind of intimidation. Uh, we can't go backwards in our efforts of, of enfranchising our voters and making sure that our, our elections are accessible and secure. So uh, people have concerns. Again, I would say reach out to your local election officials, your local county political parties, and find out where uh, where you can get information, how you can observe, and uh, you know, go through the traditional models because the last thing that we want is to uh, to go back to you know pre 1965 uh, era voting where we are potentially su suppressing or intimidating voters and keeping them away from exercising their constitutional rights. What about you, Secretary Griswold? Well, I, I would say that we want the president's supporters to sign up as election judges or poll watchers, but to Secretary Wyman's point, there's a process to do that. Uh, and not only did the president call on supporters to watch, quote, all the ballots, he also called on neo-Nazi groups last night to stand by. Uh, so I am very concerned about voter suppression and will say the president with his words is suppressing the vote. Uh, I got calls last night worried uh, about 
uh, from people of color worried to go vote across the nation. The president with his rhetoric of hate and lies is suppressing the vote. And that's why it's so important that we all push back and that Americans uh, are just so determined to make a plan to vote. And if they have access to a mail ballot, use that mail ballot, but show up this election. This is a huge election and we cannot allow President Trump to suppress voter turnout to try to tilt the election in his favor to keep power. One last quick question for you both. Uh, election officials are under such intense pressure this year. I'm wondering on a personal note what this experience has been like you for you this year. Um, what is keeping you up at night? Secretary, why oh, everything, everything is keeping us up at night. Uh, I, this is my seventh presidential election to oversee and I've never seen anything like it. So um, the nice thing though is election officials are planners. We've been planning for this election for over two years. Uh, we're ready for it. We're going to work very hard to make sure it comes off without a hitch and uh, we're gonna do our jobs. And that's what we spend our time focusing on and try to let the, the rest roll off a little bit. Of our team. Uh, you know, we knew this was going to be a huge election year in Colorado. We had our first presidential primary in 20 years, then a statewide primary, and now this big presidential general election. Uh, and then you throw into it a pandemic, uh, working remotely, and, and on top of that, a, a president who's actively trying to tilt an election in his favor. Uh, and I would just say I am so proud of everybody that I work with, all the election officials in Colorado, uh, because sometimes you don't get to choose the, the time you serve, that the circumstances choose you. Uh, and it's up to you to, to rise to the challenge. Uh, and in Colorado, all of our staff is rising to the challenge. Uh, I won't uh, try to uh, fib uh, to say that it hasn't been hard and trying, but I'm just so proud to see people do what they need to do to make sure that every Coloradan voter has their voice heard uh, and go beyond even that. You know, I've been working with secretaries of state across the nation since March to expand vote by mail for all. Uh, my elections division has also been sharing tips and best practices, and we have seen real results. Uh, we're expecting, I think the Washington Post estimates that over 80% of Americans will have access to a mail ballot, which is up from 25% of Americans that used a mail ballot in 2016. That's going to increase participation rates and make it safer for all of us. Uh, so it's hard work, but we're up to it and we're going to have great elections here in Colorado. Unfortunately, that's all the time we have. Secretary Griswold, Secretary Wyman, thank you so much to both of you. Uh, up next, we're gonna chat with fashion designer Tori Birch. Please stick around. Welcome back. This is Washington Post Live. I'm Matea Gold, National Political Enterprise and Investigations Editor at the Washington Post. And I'm pleased to welcome the executive chairman of Tori Birch LLC, Tori Birch. Thank you so much for joining us. Thank you, Matea. I'm so happy to be here. So you've taken the step of closing your uh, offices early on election day and you've encouraged your staff to volunteers, poll workers, offering a paid day off to those who do. Talk about why this became a priority for you. Well, voting is something I've been passionate about for a long time. And I have to say 52 to 55 percent at best with with that kind of percentage of people, American people voting, we need to do something. And when you look at the 2016 election, it, it's very scary. Got a little better in 18, but certainly we need to really get much better than that. And I, I know we can. 
I'm wondering what your kind of reaction, if any, you're hearing from consumers about this commitment to voting on behalf of your company and others out there. Um, it seems like brandishing the right to vote has really become something that people have embraced very publicly now and even through fashion. Is it something that you're hearing a lot of consumers talking about? You know, I think what's interesting to me is that I don't know when it became partisan. And, and that's something that we would like to get rid of. That idea of voting is perceived as democratic. When, when I started to get behind it more this election, I think there's a bit of a change. I see consumers changing their their habits. They're, they're wanting to shop with brands that stand for something. And when we talk about voting, it's such a cornerstone of our democracy. It can't be perceived as a democratic initiative. And that's something that I'm happy to weigh in on, is how do we listen to the consumer we've had we've had some people say oh that's that's you know you speaking about politics and you should stick to fashion that's something that irritates me greatly i think everyone has a civic duty and right to speak about things that are important to them and and um i think for the most part our consumers and the ones that i've seen react to other businesses are very happy that that the private sector is taking a leadership role do you think the private sector should do even more to foster participation in our democratic process? And, and if so, what are the appropriate avenues to do that? I mean, I think as, as much as we possibly can, when you're a founder of a company, the best environment for your business is a democracy. And when you think about that, and certainly that from day one has been part of my goal, I've embraced inclusion, diversity. It, it's what makes the our company beautiful. When you think about having other points of view and people weighing in, certainly that ties into democracy as well. We need to all stand for what we can to make sure that a very fragile concept of democracy is preserved. I think people take it for granted and that is something that none of us can stand by and watch. Uh, stepping back for a moment, we've seen increased civic engagement from the private sector and businesses on a number of fronts, from climate change to racial justice. Do you think this is because consumers' expectations are changing? Is there also a business incentive for, for being in this space? Can you talk a little bit about sort of both the risks and the rewards of engaging on these issues that are often very controversial? Yeah, I mean, listen, I think one thing that many people don't know about me is the reason I started our company was to start a foundation for women. And I, the, the idea of a purpose-led business has changed dramatically over the years. When you think about in the past, companies would be incredibly successful and then they would give money to certain causes. But now what's changing, and certainly consumers are changing in their thought behind this, is, is the idea of they wanna buy things from companies that stand for something. But it has to be authentic and authenticity is very much something that we've, we've been talking about different initiatives for 15 years. Internally, for sure, um, for the most part until we launched the foundation in 2009, but then externally very carefully. We wanna, we wanna have a balance of, of, of really being an advocate for human rights issues and, and, and issues around humanity, not necessarily have it be political, but I do not mind standing up and saying that this could be better if, if I can be a role model of sorts to other companies to promote democracy, promote things like voting, promote things like wearing a mask. I'm all for that. 
We've heard a lot from voters across the country about their own anxieties about the election this year, just about where, whether their ballots will reach them, whether they'll be counted. I'm wondering how you personally feel about um, just the, the system and how it's going to work. And um, similar to the question I asked our previous guest, what keeps you up at night? Well, I, I laughed because when you said that, I said everything at the same time. But I think when you have incredible secretaries doing the work they're doing, that uh, definitely comforts me more than I felt going into this conversation. That said, I don't think that people have that confidence and people have a lack of trust. People don't think that the election is safe at the moment. So that's where we come in and where companies can get involved and pay their employees to, to take time off to vote. We also are paying our employees to be poll workers because of COVID, there's a lack of poll workers. So whatever companies can do, I think um, it's, it's an urgent need um, that we all get behind it until like, like Colorado, like Seattle, like Washington, we have a foolproof voting system that works and that Republicans and Democrats feel confident in and the American people. I think that lack of confidence is very scary. I wanted to share some questions from our readers. Uh, Brian Richards from Maryland asks, what is the single best thing I can do to help get out the vote? That's a big question, uh, but what are your thoughts on that? What advice would you offer? I think a lot of reason why people don't vote. Well, I know if you think about in the last election, 95, pe 95 million people didn't vote and 13 million of those people said it was because of work or a business conflict or a scheduling conflict. 13 million people changes an election. I think in order for us to encourage people to get on vote, we need to make sure they know it's not that difficult. They they have this perception that it's very complicated to sign to to register to vote. We we need to make it um, a, the privilege that it is. We need to make sure people understand they have power in their voice and their voice needs to be heard. It's interesting when you think about consumers. They ha they feel that they are buying from companies that have purpose and they have power in that idea. They need to also believe in their idea that they have power in their vote and they can they can change an election. Every vote does matter. I truly believe in that. And we still don't see yet in this country full participation among people who are eligible to vote. Um, and that leads me to another question from a reader, Adam Orth from Massachusetts asks, how can we unite this country behind the value of voting. I'm wondering in the conversations you've had with people, um, you know, what resonates with people who haven't voted before? What do you think is the most effective way to persuade them that their vote can indeed make a difference? Well, I think by deciding that it's partisan, like we have to get over that concept. It isn't partisan for people to vote. It's not a democratic concept. It's the cornerstone of a democracy that is a very fragile, idea that we need to protect and we all need to get behind that. But I, I, I think um, people people need to feel that their voting matters. And I think there's with the electoral uh, electorate, people think that certain and, and we know that per, certain votes have more impact than others that could change. And I think we need to um, get into this idea of every vote matters. I, I do think one positive thing that's happening is that people are waking up. People are seeing the importance of their vote. Young people are seeing that. When you look at the terribly known, low numbers of young people in the past, I think they're realizing that their vote 
is tied with their futures. And that's something that we can get out. I don't think it's partisan. It's not Democratic or Republican. Everyone needs to feel that it is their civic duty to vote. And, and they should. I also think we could change Tuesdays. That's a very old concept. Yeah, there's been a lot of discussion about that, about a day off or perhaps a weekend. Uh, last thing I wanted to ask farmers that it was based on the crop. And uh, I think when you think about people going to the voting polls, it was with their horse and carriage. We have a little more time. And certainly if we do it virtually. Things have definitely changed since then. Um, lastly, we've heard a lot about having a plan to vote. I just wanted to ask you, what is your plan to vote? What are you going to do to cast your ballot this year? Well, I have a lot of kids that I'm rallying up and, and making sure that we all vote together. So we will be um, doing whatever we can to get our friends, our families, certainly our employees. That's something I'm very proud of, um, that they will go to the polls to vote. And, and if we can all get behind that and take responsibility to organize groups, all the better. <laughs> Unfortunately, that's all the time we have today. Tori Birch, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you very, very much. And thank you for tuning in. Tomorrow, join us for a continuation of our Race in America series with the founder and executive director of the Equal Justice Initiative, Brian Stevenson. And at one o'clock, best-selling author and former Democratic candidate for president, Marianne Williamson will join Sally Quinn. Once again, I'm Matea Gold, and thank you for watching Washington Post Live.
Thanks for listening. To hear more interviews from this series and other Washington Post Live programs, visit us at WashingtonPostLive.com.